Welcome to Illumination by Modern Campus. Through this series, we speak to higher education thought leaders about the trends, ideas, and opportunities that are shaping the future of this industry and pick their brains for best practices and advice that leaders can apply to their own institutions. On today's episode, Evolution Editor-in-Chief and Illumination host Amr Alawalia is joined by Lauren Taylor, Director of Programs and Systems at Peak Education. The two discuss research Lauren recently published with Modern Campus on how Peak Education is using Signalvine two-way text messaging to improve student success and how meeting students where they are, on their phones, can drive learner engagement. Well, Lauren, welcome to the Illumination Podcast, and thank you so much for taking the time out to chat. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, we're obviously we're talking about the work that you and the team at PICA did uh, in terms of, of re, uh, the research that you did exploring the impact of, of text message engagement on uh, the, the academic performance of, of high risk students. And I, just to start off, I mean, what sparked your interest in even exploring how text messaging would impact learner performance? Yeah, so in the midst of COVID, I was new to peak education. I had just graduated with my master's in counseling, and we had a population of students we worked with formerly that I had not met just because of the limitations um, with quarantine and whatnot. So we had this group of students who were struggling. We looked at their GPA. We saw that there was a decrease, and we're trying to think of really creative ways to reach these students. Working with a bunch of school districts, we knew that traditional interventions like study halls or phone calls home were not working. They just weren't reaching students the way that they needed to be reached. I knew that I really enjoyed my counselor groups and texts and memes, and that that was something that really sparked with me. And I also thought part of what was missing was the counseling piece of connection. And so I tried to merge my two worlds and deliver content to students that was easy to access, that had meaning behind it, but also was really easily digestible. And thus we landed at the texting study. That's really interesting. I'm curious. Now, you mentioned that obviously this this kind of came out of the, the necessity of the pandemic, but as you think about the work that you're doing, um, leveraging uh, text communication, SMS communication to engage with learners themselves, what's the longevity of a project like this? I think it's a different way of thinking about student interaction. Traditionally, communication has been one way. So school disseminates information, students absorb and do the thing that they're being asked to do. This is really taking a different approach and making it two-way. So the students are engaged, the questions are asked to see what they're interested in or what they think of content. And then that feedback is used to better drive communication with them. So it's an evolution of communication through text. Absolutely. That's interesting. So now in the research, and, and by the way, for anyone who's, who's listening to this episode, um, as you know, we publish an associated blog post for every Illumination episode on moderncampus.com. Uh, to find a link to the research that we're talking about, uh, please do visit that blog post. There'll be a link there. You'll, you'll be able to access the research. Now, in the research, you specifically highlight that this is focused on open messaging. So how do you define open messages and how do they differ from other approaches to student communication? 
Absolutely. So the name of this type of messaging was hard to nail down. We wanted to say it was reciprocal. We wanted to say it was positive. We wanted to say it was backed in psychology and research principles and ultimately landed on the term open texting um, akin to open communication. It is a two-way street. It is made to engage and to not just direct information. It is very casual and it is student focused. There you go. And and how does that differ again from, from the kinds of, of student communications or messaging strategies that you've seen in terms of you know how different schools, whether it's in higher ed or the secondary level, interact to engage with their learners? I noticed, well, and this I don't think is unique to Colorado, but engaging students via cell phone is pretty rare in academia, mm-hmm. much less engaging them via text. And so when I was looking to see what other organizations have done or what other people have done, it was pretty slim pickings to find what was already out there in the world. We found that engaging them through text messages has a lot more immediacy. It's a lot harder to pick up your phone and ignore a text than it is to mute a phone call or to ignore an email. And so there was this way to meet students that was right there in their face with the thing that they're using most that had connection to. Now, one critique that so frequently comes up whenever we're talking about the idea of, you know, adapting a practice, adapting a standard to adjust to the way students are, as opposed to having a student adapt to the institution, is that, well, you know, that's, it's a barrier. It's, it's you know, part of the experience. You know, students have to adjust to the world around them. The world around them can adjust to the students. I have a pretty firm opinion on what I think of that, but how would you respond to a critique like that when it comes to shifting an entire communication mechanism to to a new platform, to a new mechanism of, of engaging with the learners themselves? Absolutely. I mean, I would say that's a fair critique. That's actually how I felt when I started this program. I was nervous. Um, I did receive some pushback just because it wasn't done. There wasn't a lot of things to look at to say, oh, this will actually work. But the world is changing. It's 2022 and people use text messaging. I mean, I try and find really creative ways to explain this, but it's just simply what it is. I think when people started using email for communication, they thought that there's no way people will use it. There'll be inconsistencies with networks. Mail is the only way to go. And we see now where the world is with that. And so I think that as institutions are being agile and are adapting with the times, that this is a no brainer. It's just texting works. Yep. No, absolutely. And let's let's get into some of the, uh, I guess, the headlines at this point. Let's talk about some of the results. And, you know, again, if, if you do want to download the research, I, I would highly recommend it because it, it, it is fascinating to dive into the work that Lauren and the team did. So let's share some of the key findings. What were some of the key findings of the pilot where you were using Modern Campus SignalVine's two-way messaging platform to engage with this select audience of high-need learners? What we found is that the more a student responded to text messages, the greater correlation we saw with GPA improvement. I want to put a caveat out there. This was a relatively small study, and so we had less than 100 participants, but we found trends in the data, and it was really cool to see as students engaged more that the correlatory line followed that with the changes in their GPA. Outside of just the numbers of this, we also found better interactions with students. 
it was funny after this project, I went to a school for the first time. I had been texting with the student. They knew me through that platform, but they had never met me in person. And so they go, oh, wait, you're the texting lady. And I had this beautiful interaction with the student who I'd never met in person, but I knew about their extracurricular activities. I knew about family structure. I knew about questions that they have or how that they disseminated information or introspected on different topics all through text which is crazy and also very awesome. So lots of interesting That's, things came with this. Absolutely. And, and that the correlations, it's a fascinating one to bear in mind because I mean, what I, I realized this wouldn't necessarily be, be exist in the data. It's more, I'm asking for, for your personal impressions, but why, why do you think that is? I think that it goes to the basic human needs of sense of safety, belonging, inclusion, and that the more a student feels heard and responded to, the more that they engage. And so as you see people starting to get this back and forth in the messages, I think that it makes one more connection and one more layer of safety and support for a student. Now, it's no substitution for professional counseling. I mean, there are still things that have to be done in traditional ways. So. This is an answer, but not the answer. That's fair. And I, I think it's it's important in any discussion like this. And, and again, regular listeners will, listeners will know we tend to talk about innovative things on, on the Illumination podcast, but there is no silver bullet. At the end of the day, it's it's strategy, it's holistic approaches to student support. It's, it's multiple things all working in concert with one another. So I, I appreciate the caveat. I'm, I'm curious, you know, one of... Certainly when we're talking about text messaging, when we're talking about any form of personalized communication, really, the question will come up around how scalable is this, right? Mm-hmm. And it is, as you said, it, it's, it, was a, it was a pilot study of, of uh, you know, fewer than 100 students. But, you know, how, how repeatable do you think the process or the cadence of messages truly is? Like when you, when you think about the messages that you're sending out in the appendix of the research, you'll see the examples of, of the messages that were sent. How repeatable is it? How scalable is this? I think that the the biggest crunch of time, or at least in my situation, was just the onboarding of it. So when I was initially figuring out the platform and figuring out what I wanted to put in and then how often I wanted to send it, that took, I would say, an hour to a week for the course of the 12-week study. The actual responding to the messages was pretty quick. There are automations you can set up in the system. So you ask a student, how's it going? They say a number, and based on that response, they get something. Then from there, you can triage responses and just see what needs to go a little bit further. But you'll find that a lot of things are just asking a question. So I sent out a video of Brene Brown and got a lot of pushback. I was consulting with a team on this, and they're like, there are no way that your kids in this neighborhood in Colorado are going to want to hear Brene Brown. But myself as a low-income student from Tennessee had never heard Brene Brown until I got into a master's program. And so I, I really felt strongly that it wasn't that they didn't want to hear her message, it's that they weren't exposed to it. And so sent it out, asked them what they thought, and then looked for keywords in their response. And I could tell from their response that they watched the video because they were responding and telling me what words missing that was huge on a slide in her presentation. So there are just really clever ways that you can make this seamless and make it scalable. And just understanding that the time up front has bought me so much time later. I compare some of the work I do with my colleagues and I have students now that I can send a text message and they will text me back 
where some of my team struggles getting that same response. And I truly believe it's because we set up this relationship initially, and then I'm able to lean on that relationship when I need them to do other things. Absolutely. Now, that's fascinating. And you, before we dive more into that, I, I want to circle back on something you just said, um, because it, I don't quite understand it. Now, you said that you, you'll you send out a message and ask them how they're doing. They'll send back an answer, and the system will kick back a response based on that. Can you explain what you mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in the middle of the texting program, I just wanted to get a gauge of like, okay, I've sent you stuff. You've responded to stuff. Where are you at? How are you feeling? I said, mm. one, garbage, five, rainbows. Just give me a number. Um, I use really plain speech like that too, because if I try to get into counseling verbiage, I don't think that that's received well by 16 year old one text. And so keeping it very level with the students, and then they would send back any kind of variation of one through five. When I got a number, when I got the word one, when I got eh, miss, meh, I'm a one, I can save these different types of responses. And then based on that, send them something back. So for my ones, I said, hey, thanks for telling me. Jeez, like, tell me more about that. For my fives, I said something akin to, great, I'm glad things are going well. Please hit me up if you have any questions in the meantime. And so we're able to give them the immediacy of response based on something. And then there's a fail safe, right? So if they send back something, but it's not a number, it's not what my automation was set to pick up, then I can go in and manually code that response and kick out the pre-package response, or I can respond one-to-one. Figuring this out for the 80 semi students I was working with, again, only took me about 30 minutes per week after the message went out. So I found a cadence where I would set my messages up at the beginning of the week, get consultation, make sure it looked like not absolutely crazy. And then we would send them out on a Thursday. I would block 30 minutes after the message went out to respond to any messages, code and straighten up. And then this also gave me great data at the end of the study because I was able to see some consistencies in the data and their responses. So it took what could have been qualitative and made it quantitatable. That's really neat. I'm curious about the, the comparison, and I realize this to be anecdotal, between the engagement and the approach that you took to delivering this kind of like ongoing learner support through text messaging versus whether it's email or whether it's you know a, a letter sent home. I mean, how much how much did you see the kind of engagement you got from learners change once you shifted to this model of using text messages? Uh, for learner engagement as, as opposed to any of those other other sort of channels? I think it's interesting coming from the perspective of a counselor because you can see the work that's done in face-to-face -face or online sessions and the building of the relationship and the personal growth that happens. And trying to take that and translating it into a text message was interesting. And it is not counseling, but you see some of the same movement within a person. So people's ideas develop, their reflection is present, and you're able to see a person who was struggling get to a place that was different, which was really exciting. And it's not an email. I, I did a presentation on this where I was doing professional development for one of the local school districts and just asked the participants to think about the messages they like to receive the best. We did a thought cloud and put them out there. And every time it was a picture from a family member. It was a funny meme sent by a friend. 
It was never an automated text from Chipotle telling you about the deal of the week or the next time to come in and get 50% off. While those things are incentivizing, they're not connection. And you're in a, we are in a technological world. And so where I can build a relationship and it might have been face-to-face in the past, I use text this time and I found that it did work. That's really interesting. And that's, that's an important point too, because it's not necessarily about just pushing out one-way notifications through a new channel. It's about how are you using this two-way communication mechanism to actually have a discussion. Absolutely. I think that the way I've seen text used so far, that there's, I don't know if I would call it a fear, but there's a resistance to opening up the communication. Like what if I say the wrong thing? What if I don't respond in the right way? But really it's just a student knowing that they have access. So often first-generation students, which is an experience I can speak from because I live that, don't know how to access the resources that are available to them. They don't know who to ask. They don't know when, where, what. And being able to use something as simple as a text to say, like, when is the health center open? Or how do I even find a counselor on campus and know that somebody is going to see it? And while they may not have the exact answer, they can find the answer. It just totally changes the game in ways that student can access not only the support, but the staff on campus. Absolutely. Now, why did you decide to focus on high need learners for this study? I think the study came out of a need within our organization to reach students who were at that time unreachable. I have a partner who is a teacher in one of the schools that we serve as well, and they were struggling with the same thing. So we're in this place where the traditional methods were not working. You call and they don't answer. You send an email, it goes unopened. But with a text, it's there. They're using their phone. They're answering texts from other people. And even if they don't respond immediately, there's still that chance that you're going to get the message through where other channels are just honestly easier to ignore. That's fair. So as you reflect back on, on the report, you reflect back on, on some of the key findings. I mean, what are some of the critical takeaways that you think other leaders, especially in the higher ed space, can adopt from your findings? I think the biggest thing is being open to the change. Um, this was something new. Again, I tried to dive into research. I tried to find other ways this had been done and studied and measured to make it the best intervention possible. And I would love to see more people trying more things. I think also just understanding that there is a time commitment, but it's not crazy. Um, It's really about just understanding what your goals are with the communication and then setting up little blocks so that you can be there to respond. And then knowing that if you do this once, It's done. I know academia is very cyclical and things happen in similar cadences throughout the year. So putting the time in for year one will pay outcomes year after year, because now when I want to do the study again, I tweak slightly and don't start from scratch. It's a ton of sense. Um, And, you know, on that on that topic as well, as you look at you know, folks who might be wanting to, to launch a similar, a similar study or a similar initiative at their own institution, what advice would you share for, for a leader who, who is listening to this episode and thinking like, yeah, that sounds awesome? It's a great question. And I think 
The thing that makes this transferable is the support that I received through Signalvine. And so I definitely didn't just use my pure brain power and raw talent to develop this. I had support. And so just making sure that you're using your resources. I know Signalvine has a community board called The Vine that was great information and just putting the time in up front. So message templates are available, the responses can go in there, but really having support within a team is what's gonna make this the most effective. I had someone else on my team that when I wasn't able to answer a message could be there to double check. And it doesn't take a lot of manpower, but I think that having at least two people working on it in some capacity just covers all bases. And so instead of a message going unreplied, someone is there at some point. If you don't have the support, though, you can run into problems. And I speak from personal experience. You know, we've all struggled in some way um, over the last couple of years. Absolutely. That's fair. Lauren, thank you so much for taking the time out uh, to join me for, for today's conversation and, and for sharing your insights. Thanks as well for, for the work you've put into to codifying and to, to reflecting on, on your findings to develop this, this research report. Like I say, for anyone who is interested in accessing it, please do visit moderncampus.com. Uh, find the, the blog post associated with this episode with Lauren Taylor. Um, and, uh, and, and again, we'll, we'll have a link in that blog post to the research so you'll be able to access it. It's been a pleasure, Lauren. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. And for anyone who would want to join in on year two or have questions, please feel free to reach out. I'm happy to share my findings with anyone once one. This episode is brought to you by Modern Campus in partnership with The Evolution. Modern Campus empowers higher ed institutions to thrive when radical change is required to deal with lower student enrollments and revenue, rising costs, crushing student debt, and even school closures. Powered by the industry's only student-first modern learner engagement platform, Modern Campus supports every corner of the modern institution, from continuing and workforce education, to student affairs, to the registrar's office, to marketing and IT. To find out more on how you can transform your institution to meet the needs of the modern learner, visit moderncampus.com. That's moderncampus.com.